Welcome to the Tangible Hope Podcast. Today we will be talking about Senator Bob Casey's 401k kids savings account proposal with Ray Bushera, a legislative fellow with Senator Casey's office. Uh, my name is Willie Elliott and I'm a professor at the University of Michigan and my co-host is Melinda Lewis, a professor of practice at the University of Kansas. If you find this episode informative and want to be sure others hear it, please hit the like button and subscribe. Also, you can find uh, links to previous episodes and related materials and descriptions or the show notes. Ray, please give us a little bit of background on yourself and all that you've done in the CSA field. <laughs> well, thank you, Willie. Thank you, Melinda. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's exciting. And really, our collaboration over many years has just really been a great joy. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've been in the field for 30 years, started working with Michael Sheradden, uh back before Assets in the Poor was published, so in the early 90s when I had a different job on Capitol Hill. And there my job was to draft legislation and sort of bring this asset building idea to U.S. policymakers, who at the time were trying to quote unquote end welfare as we know it and do something about hunger. So Michael's manuscript appeared, I thought it was great. Uh, he and I and Bob Friedman and a few others put together what seven years later would become the Assets for Independence, match savings accounts. Uh, IDAs for low-income people. So we got that through, and then I think a lot of the field's emphasis shifted to starting these accounts at birth, which of course was Michael Sheradden's original idea, as opposed for the working poor. And so when I was at CFED in New America and at the Federal Reserve of St. Louis, where I was for 11 years before joining Senator Casey, worked on a lot of bills to create savings accounts at birth and got five or six of them launched in the U.S. Uh, Congress back in the mid-2000s. And I feel like 401 Kids is the next chapter of that. And the difference is that we have so much more experience to build on now mm. than we did before. Thanks, Ray. So I, mean, I read the um, Senate report and the outline of what 401 Kids does, but can you tell us a bit about some of the features that you have incorporated building on the wisdom in those different policy spaces and this evolving asset-based um, landscape? What, sure. what are some of the key features and, and why are they in there? When the CSA's uh, national bills were written 10, 15, 20 years ago, there wasn't really a lot of practice to build on. And so they were all federal, kind of top down, and, you know, uh, really did reflect the best thinking at the time, which is to build like a thrift savings plan type platform, uh, but around starting accounts at birth. What's different now is that there are 5 million children's savings accounts out in the field right now. We have real evidence, uh, thanks to you, uh, Melinda and Willie and many others, that these accounts can work and improve kids and families' lives. And the 529 platform has become the predominant platform around which these accounts are built. So I think uh, when we set out to draft this bill and to bring Senator Casey's bill in line with latest and best thinking, the, the main thing we did is build on the success of the 5 million accounts that are already there. We didn't want to displace that. We wanted to leverage it and build on it. So the, I think the key policy design choice was to use the existing 529 platform um, and really, you know, do two things to that platform that we haven't done before. One, expand the uses 
to not just college, but um, a first home, a small business, and retirement. And secondly, add federal deposits uh, for kids from low and moderate income families. So that was really the key choice is like we have this system working, they're engaging the private sector, they're engaging families and communities and nonprofits and schools. And we thought, let's build on that success and make sure that more states can do it. And the states that are already doing it can build on that success as well. Yeah, this kind of reminds me, I mean, just to emphasize what Ray has already said, when the um, education department put out the uh, the uh, proposal or for um, adding CSAs to the Gear Up program. And, and it was sent out to all the states to, you know, to, to, who had Gear Up, state Gear Up programs to apply. They had $8 million set aside for doing the research on it. They had selected a research group and all these different things, but yet it failed because at the time, the states didn't feel confident in their ability to administer these CSA programs because we didn't have Pennsylvania and Nebraska. We didn't have K2C was, you know, in its infancy. Maine was in its infancy. And so uh, we really didn't uh, have kind of the field knowledge on how to administer and run CSAs. And so I, I think Ray is 100% right. We're, we're in such a different place as, as a field for uh, the possible success of such a program. And so Senator Casey's bill is at a kind of a a great time period in, in the history of CSAs and, and kind of the development of CSAs. And can I just underscore, um, Willie and Melinda, that Senator Casey gave Corey Hushock, the uh, senator's tax LA, a full year to get this bill right. We had dozens and dozens of stakeholder calls with experts, folks on the ground, record keepers, investment managers, state treasurers, people who are going to be on the front lines and making this happen. You know, we talked to product lawyers. I mean, we, we he gave us a year to, to engage the stakeholders that would be involved in running these programs. And the bill that was introduced two days ago reflects that. So so exciting and so, uh, I think, relatively rare in the broad universe of policymaking, really to, to synthesize knowledge from the field and across different sectors um, to then get a product that um, is a platform for working toward um, goals in many different areas. I, I wonder if we can just talk a little bit, Ray, about what the reaction has been to the idea of leveraging the 529 um, instrument for purposes in home ownership and in entrepreneurship. Like in many ways, it is a deviation from the you know strict um, purpose for higher education. And cer certainly among the folks that you talked with, I would imagine that the ones who wanted to see CSAs used that way are excited about it. But that's not how everyone thinks about the 529. So just thinking about kind of, I, I'm interested in not only the reaction, but then in policy, what has to happen for the 529 instrument to be used for these other purposes? That's a, that's a great question, Melinda. Thank you. You know, so I, I'd say anytime you do something big and bold and innovative, people are going to have a debate about it and those pros and cons, and we're, we're very honest about that. It, it would be the most significant transformation of 529s to date. At the same time, it does reflect an, a vision that at least Michael Sheradden and others have articulated of transforming the regressive 529 platform into something progressive, lifelong, and inclusive and asset building. So we think it makes a huge leap forward in making sure that every kid's included, that it's progressively funded, 
that is truly lifelong, has other asset building purposes, and it's an account around which you can do a lot of other social policy over time. So I think there's a lot of benefits, and I think the states that are already doing child savings accounts like Pennsylvania, Maine, Nebraska, um, like, wow, you know, we would love to have federal funds and the authorization to do these other uses, and there's a lot of enthusiasm. But, you know, to be fair, we've heard some concerns, especially among the state treasurers who feel pretty comfortable with their 529 program focused on education. They've built up their programs over the last couple of decades. I'm not, I'm not sure that they're ready to embrace a bold change like this. Now, we recognize that. And so the way Senator Casey's bill is designed is that no state is required to adopt 401 kids. Okay, it's purely optional, purely optional. States that opt in to do a 401 kids program would have to play by the rules if they want the federal money, but then they get that money and they can expand the uses and the 401 kids would be sort of carved out of their existing 529 program so that the two could work together kind of seamlessly. But for those children who live in states that choose not to participate, there is a federal backstop. So at the end of the day, every child will be included. I think that's the trade-off and that's kind of where we landed. You know, you've got this great platform, but it, it's really been serving very wealthy families and we wanna make it serve all families expand the uses, but admittedly, a little bit of pushback from states who are not quite ready for that type of change to a 529. Let me let me add a couple of things in here. I'm sure this wasn't in necessarily directly in Senator Casey's kind of idea or, or, or whatever else, but the bottom line is, is that it does make this policy much more friendly to things like baby bonds, the kind of baby bonds movement and stuff like that, because they have a more expanded use. And while this is a uh, CSA or child development type of program, it is a large dollar program. And so, so I think that's important that while it might not be as inclusive or, or exactly what all treasurers want, it does broaden the camp and, and allow for others to kind of join. Because if we're ever going to get any of this kind of stuff passed, we need a, a broad tent. And so I do think that's not the main reason. I'm sure, you know, I understand that there's really re a lot of reasons for why there's this expansive use of it. But but it does allow for an on-ramp for people doing baby bonds programs or whatever else. I know in California right now, they're debating and thinking about, they already have a, a statewide CSA program and they're trying to figure out how to do a baby bonds program as well. And, and in my mind, these things should be married together. And, and this kind of proposal and these kind of changes to the 529 system allow for that to happen because baby bond programs have a much broader use for asset building in general and, 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 and the idea of reducing wealth inequality. So this would add that money to that. Think about it. If, if someone like California makes the kind of uh, state investment in kids' accounts as they're talking about, and then you combine that with the federal investment, and, and, and now you're really beginning to, to build some wealth. And then if it has the kind of uh, features that a CSA brings and allowing for uh, outside strings beyond the state and beyond the federal government to contribute to those accounts, man, you, you might actually, in our lifetime, do something with wealth inequality, right? I mean, otherwise, you, you're, not, you're only going to partially meet these things. And so this is why this is so fundamentally important to me. Uh, and lastly, I will say that some of our recent history helps people understand 
that the 529 can evolve. What I mean by that is we saw changes to the legislation with regard to, hey, now you can use some of that money early on in a kid's life for their early education outcomes, right? These kind of fundamental, there was a, there's a maybe Ray knows, there was a recent change to 529s as well that, that gave it a more expansive use. So, so my point is, in the fact that we're beginning to see the 529 structure as something that can be changed, even the ABLE Act, even though it doesn't directly link, but it shows that we can make changes to the 529. It's not a, a fixed kind of legislation that we can make these tweaks and have it serve more people and really have a chance to tackle wealth inequality. Yeah, thank, thank you, Willie. I, if I could, I'd like to just elaborate a little bit on the um, sort of the interaction with baby bonds. And we, you know, we, we had many calls with the folks pioneering baby bonds, sat at many tables with their chief advocates, Senator Casey has no interest in getting in the way of those really exciting efforts. If a state can pull together funds for a dedicated baby bonds program, that's that's great. Where I think the two policies come together at the state and local level is when we get to distributions. If a child is fortunate enough to grow up with a 401 kids and a state baby bond, then they're going to have two sources of funds going to that asset purchase when they're ready to make that purchase. You could argue that maybe they should be one policy, and because both baby bonds and 401 kids are run by state treasurers, I think there is that sort of synthesis opportunity that some of them will probably leverage. But as you know, a lot of the baby bonds programs are, are not built on the 529 platform, and some of them are. So I think there is an, an opportunity to try to get them both to be on the 529 platform. But for those that choose not to, like Connecticut, we, I simply think, well, okay, that kid's going to have more resources to draw from when he or she turns 18 years old. They'll have their 401 kids. They'll have their baby bonds money. And I'm going to push back. <laughs> please do. Look, please do. And I, I can't because I'm not attached to any of this. So, so I will say that it, it's kind of like, small dollar CSAs, what I call small dollar CSAs. So we have all these state programs that currently exist that put small amounts of money in the accounts and don't have the robust kind of deposits in that. Well, you say, and everybody says, well, these two ideas are foreign, CSAs and, and kind of large dollar deposits because CSAs are about the same. But what it was is that at, at the moment that CSAs became at the state level and we started having, you know, the C demonstration, there, there wasn't, the finances or the public will or the infrastructure to do something different. And so that's where baby bonds are at. What they're having this moment is, is that, yeah, they have this great idea and, and really is a great idea. And certainly they could exist apart from one another. But the reason why Connecticut is not using the 529 because we don't have the changes that Senator Casey is proposing within the 529 to facilitate a baby bond. Once those changes are made, it makes less sense to have two separate entities. Secondly, if you have two different pots of money, the money doesn't grow as fast. You know what I mean? If you have all that money, you have the more money you have in an account, the faster it grows and the more it grows, right? And so it's too logical to combine these things. I understand why it's not happening now. It's not happening now because we don't have the infrastructure in place to allow it to happen. But if we can get these changes made to the 529 system, then it makes a lot more sense to combine these things. And that's not eliminating either one because because we had the small dollar CSAs and we had the baby bonds were putting a lot of money in them. And so in a essence, what, uh, and, I, and I'd say even in that media articles that have come out recently around Senator Casey's proposal, 
they kind of intermixed them with baby bonds. Like, this is a baby bond-like idea. They talk about it now. Because in the end, they're doing the same thing. I can't disagree with you, Willie. I think I, I, I wish we had a progressive, inclusive 529 structure like 401 Kids in place. And then I think the state treasurers and others would have would have just built on that. It would have been a lot easier. But we don't have that. And it's, you know, it's sort of hard to imagine the baby bonds advocates sort of like, well, we better not start this because we oh, might get this that. 401 Kids yeah, bill right. passed, you know. So I think at, at a minimum, I think the minimum is like, well, can they at least work together at some point, you know, should both of the policies go through? And I think with both of them being under the state treasurer, there is an opportunity for synthesis and, you know, collapsing them into maybe one program at some point, right? I think there will be that opportunity uh, simply uh, since they all come under the, the, the same state treasurer. You know, who knows? The one thing I will say, though, is where we definitely need to work together is on federal policy. I guarantee you we will have one shot, one big shot at a big federal policy here. And I think it's really critical that folks come together, whether you're working on baby bonds or CSAs, we need to unite around some bill. And Senator Booker has a very compelling, exciting proposal uh, around baby bonds. Senator Casey's had a, a child savings account bill for longer than Senator Booker has. And now, of course, Senator Casey has updated his bill, but the two senators shared a stage at an Aspen event, pledged to work together, knowing that they're going to have one opportunity. And I, I just hope that the field recognizes the, the rare shots we're going to have for a federal bill and that, you know, we come together around whatever that bill may end up being. You know, Ray, I kind of wrote the, the origin story paper, which really advocated for everybody coming together. And so um, I, I'm certainly for that. And, and I do think it's important, while this doesn't exist now, just to emphasize that it would put us in a better spot in the long run if we had this kind of infrastructure. And from having talked to big people in implementing baby bonds, that is a struggle that they're having is uh, how do we put the infrastructure in place to do this? One last thing on this, because this, this is a really important topic. Because I know that there are national conversations going on with experts across the, the two fields, and they're trying to figure out what are the key principles for kind of asset building for children uh, that combine, in some ways, these two policies. And, and I think that, and, I, and we've always, even in the CSA field, we've had this problem where we've thought, like in the beginning, all that mattered was the infrastructure, right? We didn't care about the money. And now we're at the point where it's kind of like, all that matters is that we get together. Well, it, it does matter that we get together 100%, and I don't see any reason why we shouldn't. But we also need to make sure that it can be the kind of bill that puts us in the best position, both from our ability to administer it and also in the ability to build wealth for the poor. Because we can have all our little differences, but in the end of the day, low-income people are going to get a policy and it's either going to work in their lives or it's not, and they're going to be blamed if it doesn't. And so we darn well better have the key principles as key principles, things like, you know, we're talking about here. So, so I, I think compromise is good so long as it doesn't compromise the outcomes of the poor. And too often compromise means that. 
Because it's also, this is another piece, um, a quote from Senator Casey in um, some of the announcement of the uh, legislation that to me is another place where it's both and, and, and we have to um, aim at both and instead of this or that. Uh, and the quote was this, you know, that lack of income means you can't get by and lack of wealth means you can't get ahead. And that is about tangible hope uh, and um, every child's right to have that real stake to, to, to plant and, and to work from. And also is one of the things that divides us often, people who all, all care about people who are living in and near poverty. And some say, well, but we need to help them meet their needs today. And others saying, and we need to focus on, you know, a real tangible hope for the future. I'm interested, Ray, technically in 401 Kids, you know, what in the legislation, in the um, structure of 529s that is envisioned might protect or could protect people's ability to draw um, the social safety net um, programs that they rely on today or, you know, help them in the moment to, you know, be able to get by, perhaps akin to what we see in ABLE. Uh, and then also, so like in the actual policy and then really more broadly, how can we um, as a field and as people who you know, are listening to this care about families in poverty overcome that other dividing line around income versus assets? Yeah. So I, I could not agree more that it's a it's a both and, uh, you know, families need both income and assets. And um, I think the value of our field has to put the assets equation on the table. It's not a trade off. It is of, of both and. So that's a really important point. I would point out with regards to poor kids that Senator Casey has been one of the Senate's leading advocates for an expanded and permanent and refundable child tax credit. That is a critical policy and he's doing everything he can to get, a, you know, at least that, that credit partially revived this year. But as the senator said, we, we, you know, we need both money to help people get by and to help them get ahead. And that's where the wealth piece comes in. Um, so within the bill itself, uh, you know, whatever you save in your 401k does not count um, unless your savings goes over $100,000, uh, which is not likely. But that's the limit that's in the ABLE Account Act that Senator Casey also pioneered. Um, and so we thought we would just use that same standard. So I, I do think that that's really important. But it is true that um, there's no access to the funds before 18 from the parents or the child. In fact, it's kind of locked up in an omnibus account managed by the state. And the family can make their own contributions. But once they're contributed, there's not really access to those funds either. Um, so, um, you know, what we advocate for um, is complementary policies to help families meet their day-to-day -day needs. And in particular, we're very encouraged by the quote-unquote sidecar emergency savings experiments that are attached to retirement accounts, some 529s, some housing programs. If you want to build wealth over the long term, I think the research is very clear that you need some emergency and flexible savings as well. And we, we very much support complementary policies to 401 kids that would do that. In the announcement of the bill from the senator, an acknowledgement and, and really a, a signaling to everyone who's watching the legislation that this doesn't mean instead of or better than income supports, it means bringing the often overlooked side of family economic well-being equation um, really into the discussion. 
I thought I, I'm celebrating that. And it was a great quote too. It was terrific. Willie, what were you going to say? I'd like to add in is that we, we have seen a strong, and, I, and I've, I've been in several conversations this week that suggest that this is even growing farther. Whereas for a long time, these really were thought of as separate ideas, income and assets. And to the credit of Michael Stratton, who began this conversation 1991 and even before that, uh, we are now at the point where uh, there are randomized control trials, experiments going on to test income and asset programs together and how that could be a better solution to solving poverty. So I, I, as we talked about baby bonds and CSAs and how they could be on separate tracks and not wanting to kind of marry the ideas, we're doing the same thing with income. I, 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 you know, in the end of the day, if we're going to solve poverty, you got to have income. You got to have assets. You got to have an institutional structure that that allows you to deliver all these things. And so we're getting so darn close. In Flint, uh, and everybody knows about Flint at this point because of the water crisis and all that. They've started a Rex Kids program where every kid born, every parent of who has a child gets five hundred dollars in like a guaranteed or conditional conditional cash transfer in their account. And we're doing that in St. Paul already. We're already testing that, right? And so, uh, and that's just two. And, and, and then when I talk to my, my guaranteed income people, and this has changed within the last year, where they were really thinking about these things almost in conflict with one another, where now we, we have these experiments going on and, and just hearing their conversations, now they're thinking about, wow, maybe we should put income and assets together. So Melinda, I think I'm going to give us some kudos here as well. We've been having this kind of conversation and trying to get people to that point for years. And I think that we're, we're, we're really seeing real tangible evidence that these there's more and more people understanding if we're really going to fight poverty, we can't drop this principle and that principle. We need to put these things together to really do it. Uh, and so I think that's great. And, and I will go back to Ray's earlier comment. It's one of the reasons I'm pushing hard on the fact that and I don't care about, I mean, I'm not in Senator Casey's, I'm not, I, mean, I, don't, I, I love his bill. I think it's a great bill because I think it's a great bill, not because I care, you know, about voting for Senator Casey or not voting for Senator Casey. In as much as we can understand that even though we don't currently have the 529 in place like we wanted to, like it needs to be for baby bonds and those to be mixed, we need to continue to build that conversation so that we fight for that because it puts us in a better spot in the end. That makes sense to you, right? When we start talking about combining income and assets, everybody thought, ah, right? But but you keep building the narrative and, and now we're at a point where like, that's a real conversation that you can have with people and there's real tangible evidence of having that. And so we need to do the same thing here is yes, we don't currently have it, but we have to make it understand that that's gonna put us in the best situation to, to really leverage the baby bond idea and make it, you know, really robust. That's 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 not me pushing us apart. That's me saying, here's how where we need to go to get to a better place for the poor people and have better outcomes. Now, we can do both of these conversations and we need to. Ray, you said you think we've got one shot at um, transformative legislation for families in poverty. And so I'm not going to ask you to tell us when is that when is that chance going to come, right? I, you know, to, I know that you don't have a crystal ball either, but I'm interested in um, anything that you can and, and would be willing to share about where you see perhaps some of these some of these stars aligning, these conversations that Willie referenced converging and, and changing. Like what um, signals how 
proximate um, that one opportunity might be. And then, you know, what, what can any yeah. of the us, those who are listening, do to um, try to hasten that day? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it's a great question. Thank you, Melinda. I can say a little bit more. Uh, it, certainly hard to predict things. And uh, so much depends on the outcome of the fall elections, which nobody has any idea. Senator Casey, of course, is in a very competitive race. It's of national significance. It could determine the control of the U.S. Senate. Um, so we, we all know that. There's two ways I see this happening. One would be kind of incrementally. Say there's a tax bill. The Senate Finance Committee finds offsets to sort of do a down payment on 401 kids. So maybe the first step for which they can find offsets um, is um, like every kid gets an account and a starter deposit, okay? And then we wait for another opportunity when there's more money, like a big reconciliation bill, to supercharge the accounts. So that's one scenario. And, we, you know, we're, we're actually in conversation with the Senate Finance Committee about what that might look like. The other opportunity is like, for, you know, for whatever reason, uh, in 2025, uh, there's just a ton of money on the table, like the expiration of the Trump tax cuts or a big budget deal or a big Social Security deal. When big money's on the table, that's when big things tend to happen. And often what happens, and I'm not happy about this, is that there'll be, unfortunately, large giveaways to very wealthy families. But to make the politics work, there has to be something big for lower income families. So I think the hope there is that that something big or among the something bigs, big uh, would be uh, would be like uh, 401 kids. So I think those are the two ways that it could could happen. But going back to my earlier point, when the Senate Finance Committee marks up a bill, it's it, you know, it, 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 it it'll be one bill. There won't be like different versions of that bill, you know, and maybe in the end, it'll be a combination of what Senator Casey wants and what Senator Booker wants. I'm, you know, who knows, right? They both have compelling proposals. So, but I, I think that's the way to think about the opportunity. I don't think anything will happen this year because it's an election year, but we've all put down our markers. And um, I think there will be an opportunity in the next Congress, especially if especially if Democrats uh, retain control, although I will emphasize that this idea has a strong history of bipartisan support. And, you know, maybe if Senator Casey's bill wasn't so expensive, <laughs> you know, if we start with the sort of the down payment version of the bill where every kid gets a thousand dollars at birth and maybe they're, you know, and every kid gets an account, maybe we can get Republicans to join us on that. But, you know, again, it's really hard to say but you do have to wait for those opportunities. You have to be ready for them. And I, you know, Senator Casey is ready. Awesome. Thank you, Ray. Willie, do you have anything that you want to add? Yeah, I want to add in a third possibility, uh, which is certainly um, just kind of my idea of a third opportunity. And, and I think it has a lot to do with what we've been talking about all day today. And that is building the kind of coalition, because I think what you see with the high hyperinflation, the unrest around politics in general, the inability, is there's a certain frustration uh, among different groups that like the asset and baby bonds people, I mean, the CSA and baby bonds people or the CSA and, and child tax credit people, uh, they might feel very separated, but yet there's so much in common that might unite them. And so even, you know, the white 
uh, middle-class American and the black urban uh, individual are have reason to unite given the just overall frustrations in trying to achieve their daily lives. And so I think to the degree that we can put a really substantial policy in front of the public and bring together these different coalitions that have for years thought about the pie as being uh, non-inability to grow. And so therefore the income people have to fight with the asset people and the baby ones have to fight with the CSA people that we could uh, create a moment where there's a, enough push and enough synergy that it does bring Democrats and liberals together. And maybe it will be less about who wins the election and more about what unites us to get something done. And like Ray had mentioned, the, these are ideas and there is polling that even things like uh, baby bonds are polling fairly popularly, popularly among different groups. And so I don't think it's unimaginable given just the, just the kind of state that we're in. And I, and I would say it's, it's, it's needed that we be able to deliver to the people. And that's why I think these principles and, 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 and settling for something will only lead to long-term chaos because it won't deliver. People need something that will actually deliver on their lives. Not 25, 50 years, 100 years from now, when we can put real money. We need to do something to save our country. I'm going to say it that way. That is actually, that can work in everybody's life to make them think like, yeah, I can believe in American institutions because I have the resources and ability to use my effort to decide whether I achieve success or not. And, and that be tangible to them. We talk about tangible hope. People need a policy now that gives them tangible hope for using their effort and ability to achieve desired outcomes. And that goes across party lines, across racial lines. And what we have to do is have them see that commonality within these bills and the bills have to be robust enough that they could imagine them working in their lives. Look at our country. We don't have 30 years for something to materialize in their lives. We need to do something relevant now or else we're going to find ourselves in total chaos for lack of a better word because people are frustrated in a way that i haven't seen them in 53 years and and they need something now and politicians should recognize that that they actually need to put aside whether they get credit or not and think about what would actually be most likely to bring real outcomes to these people's lives because they need them and they need them soon not 30 years from now. I'm sorry. That's not me preaching or or being political. That like, and, and that is from a researcher. I mean, I, like, who just cares about what are the things that need to be done so that poor people can have better outcomes, so that they can once again believe in America in a way that they don't now. Well said. Thank you, Ray. Not only for being here to talk with us, but really the. I see you and your fingerprints in so many parts of the 401 kids legislation and in truly even the way that Senator Casey is leading on this, I think is um, reflective of the relationships that you have forged, not only with him uh, and with other folks on the Hill, but with people in communities around the country that are doing the work making hope tangible in a child's life um, through wow. um, the construction of asset approaches. So thank you. Wow, um, thank you. Congratulations on getting the bill launched and out into the world and generating conversation about it that in the process, I think makes it more likely that um, something that resembles um, these 
th these statements of principles and these um, features becomes actual reality. So thank you for well, coming to well, talk thank with you us and th thanks for, for thanks for including me and uh, I, I'm grateful to Senator Casey for giving me the opportunity to bring years of relationships and expertise to the table and to engage with our field. And, um, you know, we have a new report on 401 kids that was introduced mm -hmm. with the bill. I hope you all take a look at that. Your research is cited. And um, yeah, please contact uh, me if you have questions or would like to offer your support. So thank you both for the opportunity and uh, uh, onward. Thanks, Ray. And Willie, let's link to the 401 Kids report in um, the, the notes for this episode so that folks can go right to it. Because I did read it, Ray, um, made some notes, pulled some pieces out, and I think others should read it as well. 100%. And we'll make sure to include those in the notes uh, to include the recent report that we uh, kind of produced on kind of how CSAs are an effective strategy. Yes. So we'll include that. And yes. If you like the episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. and. I'm asking for subscribes and likes, and we don't do all this stuff. Well, I get, you know, a little picked on for our endings. It's like with the bill. We don't really care about this podcast for the sake of, like, blowing it up and being some great podcast. We're doing the podcast because we want to reach different people and, and share this information, give people like Ray a platform to, to talk about this bill so other people can see it. And so we want you to like and subscribe only because – if you like and subscribe, more people get this information. And so if you find this valuable, we need you to hit the like button. We need you to subscribe because it, it's a way that you can participate in sharing this information with a lot of other people, right? So, so we Is it available you, on Spotify? Can I find it on Spotify? It's on Spotify. It's everywhere you can find All it. All right. So, yes. Um, so, so thanks again, Ray, because you're just a great friend. All right. It has been a great partnership, and we certainly have all learned from you over the years, and appreciate all that you've done. And Michael Shradden is coming nice. soon, following on this. So good. So, hey. so, so that's great, great too. So have a great one. Well, thanks, thanks again Thank for the you. opportunity. Hope you both enjoy your weekends. Bye bye. Thank you, Ray. Bye bye. Take care.